Are you ready to accelerate the growth of your business? Welcome to the Revenue Growth Podcast. This is the place for business owners, sales leaders, and marketing professionals to get ideas and inspiration to drive exponential revenue growth. Each week, you'll get actionable insights from the world's leading marketing and sales thought leaders and practitioners. Are you ready to grow? Let's join our host, Daryl Amy, author of Revenue Growth Engine. Welcome back to the Revenue Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Daryl Amy, trailblazer and growth architect. Today, you're going to get to know one of the world's foremost experts in relationship, signal, intelligence, and social selling, Jamie Shanks. You're absolutely going to love this conversation. So stick around and grab a pen and paper because I have a good idea you're going to want to take some notes today. Hey, today's episode is brought to you by Convergo, a team helping entrepreneurial companies develop and implement revenue growth plans. If you want to accelerate your growth while building processes that allow the growth to be sustainable, you'll want to meet the team at Convergo. Just go to www.convergo.co to learn how other entrepreneurial companies are accelerating their growth. Well, today's guest, Jamie Shanks, is the CEO of both Pipeline Signals and Sales for Life. Pipeline Signals is a pioneer in relationship signal intelligence monitoring, where they monitor and mine current and target accounts for relationship connections, competitive intelligence, and compelling events like job changes. They allow companies to buy back their seller's time. That sounds amazing. Imagine being able to buy back your seller's time so they can focus on selling, not researching. And of course, at Sales for Life, Jamie and his team have trained over 250,000 sales and marketing profession professionals in dozens of industries. This is going to be an exciting conversation. Jamie Shanks, all the way from my home country, Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Welcome to the Revenue Growth Podcast. It's great to have you here today. We're going to have fun. Daryl, thank you so much for the invite. This is uh, a really interesting time right now in the life of sales and sales professionals. It's never been more important to develop trust with our prospects and our clients, and uh, yet trust is at an all-time low. But we've got the opportunity now to, to get some help in this area. Talk to, you, talk to us a little bit about relationship signal intelligence. What is that, and uh, how can this help companies in their sales efforts? So this is a form of sales intelligence that is a piece to a puzzle. I'll talk to your audience. If you have an account-based marketing, a ABM strategy, I want you to think of an account, and I'm drinking out of a Yeti right now. So that is going to be that named account that you <laughs> there want to target. Yeah, you know, drinking out of the Yeti. <laughs> if you look at the puzzle pieces, there are three forms of sales intelligence that your team needs to be thinking about. And they're all important, all equal pieces to the puzzle. First is the one that you know the best, buying intent. These are people raising their hand, Googling keywords, and downloading your ebooks. We don't do that, but that is a huge industry and vertical uh, led by some great companies. Mm -hmm. Number two is called product usage or workload consumption. Imagine knowing if you sold a solution, which companies use what other software or tools that you integrate with, you complement, maybe you don't complement, you want to avoid, and you can determine how you fit into those accounts based on the solutions that they use internally. Again, mm -hmm. other category. Yep. Relationship signals are basically the map between you and other past customers 
competitors or pending key stakeholders that have what's called human capital migration. Mm -hmm. So what that really means is inside an account, there are people going in, up, promoted, and out of every account in your CRM. And it's really important that your sales team know which have opportunities and risks based on, as an example, people leaving your customer base and going into a prospect. That's an opportunity. Or the asymmetrical competitive advantage that your competitors have or the fact that there are people leaving employment of your competitors and taking employment in these accounts or have key stakeholders with skills and certifications in these accounts that can become detractors. So that's these relationships help you with account selection and prioritization in your accounts. And it's the third leg to a stool. But that makes complete sense. And I mean, anyone that's in in sales is going to say people buy from people and people buy from people that they know, like and trust. And, you know, the relationship part of this is so important. But I think you're absolutely right when it comes to an account based strategy. A lot of times the relationship side either gets overlooked or it's like, oh, the salespeople will take care of that. Well, is anyone is anybody got their eye on the dot? You know, is anyone watching uh, and paying attention to what's going on out there. Well, what you just described is the fundamental challenge. So mm -hmm. sellers are issued LinkedIn Sales Navigator accounts. Now it's up to the volition of the sellers to monitor their total addressable market group of accounts. Right. So let's give you a real life scenario. You're in Arkansas and you have a seller in Seattle. Mm -hmm. Your TAM, your market, the accounts that are within Arkansas. Somebody ups and leaves, a key stakeholder, a CMO, ups and leaves your accounts. As soon as they do, you no longer, you kind of wash your hands of it. You don't care anymore. Okay. Just as the natural reaction of a seller. But that person ups and leaves and goes into an account that's in Seattle. That seller in Washington State covering that, that geography doesn't pick up that signal that day. And it's missed. And what's happening at compounded scale is you have hundreds or thousands of prospects and hundreds or thousands of customers. And that human capital migration, on average, your CRM is depleting at 3% a month. And our customers are seeing anywhere of 100 to 500 job changes every month going in and out of our accounts. But what you've done is you've given that assignment to an individual seller and you've created kinks in the armor. Mm -hmm. And what you really want to do is back up and look at it from a RevOps standpoint or, you know, marketing and sales and RevOps and say, which account should we focus on today, not tomorrow? Which accounts have opportunities versus risk based on all of these changes? And let's make these decisions in the, the system of truth, the system mm -hmm. of record that mattered to us in our CRM so that we can figure out which accounts we focus our attention on. And that's not happening in customers. Wow. And you think about the, obviously we're living in the midst of the great resignation. There is human capital shifting all over the place and the opportunities and risks now in that area are greater than they've ever been. I mean, I can't think of a time like this 3% a month. I mean, compound that across a year that, that means in a couple of years, your CRM is like totally useless. And your CRM primarily Mm -hmm. unless you had been paying for data mining and data enrichment has mm -hmm. been naturally single threaded as it is. That's an unfortunate action by sellers 
Yeah. They, they stick to a few key stakeholders. They latch onto those key stakeholders in the pre-sales side and then mm -hmm. in the customer success team doesn't enrich your database with all the other cross-functional buyers that could help with upsell and cross-sell and so forth. So now people are leaving your customer base. Two parties in your company would love to know this. Number one, your CSM and your leader of customer success would love to know which accounts are at risk based on the fact that, remember that you said this, people buy from people and people are the ones that set priorities in a business. A company yep. doesn't set a priority. Mm -hmm. A group of people come in or out and bring with them a priority or take with them priorities. So now all of a sudden your CSM team would love to know who's going in and out of their accounts. Mm -hmm. Your net new team could be fueled with the best opportunities, which are previous advocates, users, key stakeholders from your customer base up and leaving and going into these either named accounts or your white space and targeting these accounts and saying, now, Susan, you were at our customer at Yeti before. Now you're over at Igloo Coolers. Right. Have a conversation about the success you had with us. And it's a much warmer conversation. Well, and you think about those conversations, especially when they're at the executive level, you know, executives come into a new company and I mean, they were hired. They want to make changes, right? Like this is the time to have that conversation because that executive, especially when you've worked with before, should be prime candidate uh, to do some really good business with you. I and love it. I was going to say the untouted statistics or the unclarified uh, or confirmed statistic is that when a key stakeholder joins a new account in their mm -hmm. first hundred days on the job, mm -hmm. they will either physically deploy or have mentally deployed up to 70% of the remitted budget for the year. Now let's think about it. If any of you listeners have been new to a company and had the ability to make change in the company, mm -hmm. you get into the business, you look around, you try to figure out where the washroom is, and then you meet your teammates and you do a bit of a SWOT analysis. And now all of a sudden, your job was to make change and you come with you uh, experience and mm -hmm. we'll say whether you call them biases or experiences, mm -hmm. people, process and technology. Yes. Yep. And you will most likely bring those people, processes, and technologies that were successful forward into your new business. You as the seller going, looking at net new accounts, follow the humans because yeah. that's where it's going to be. So how do you do this? Obviously, you have put a lot of thought into this and a lot of development to figure out how to make this actually work. Because though, like you said earlier, the way it happens now is hopefully maybe just possibly your sales professionals are paying attention to their LinkedIn feed to maybe sometimes see that somebody it, right? Yeah. And not to be a homer, of course, <laughs> here's what Pipeline Signals does. The, the, the value proposition... And then, then the how, we'll talk about the how. Mm -hmm. The value proposition is you're paying your sellers for outcomes. Mm -hmm. Yet you've been asking them to do $5 an hour tasks. Yet what you're really paying them to do is create $500 an hour value creation. So we're buying back the seller's time and taking what, if you look at prospecting or any pipeline development, there's a left brain and a right brain motion. And the left brain motion is about collecting the rote mechanical information, turning raw data into sales intelligence. Mm -hmm. What we're doing is we're taking, we're first monitoring. You give us every account in the world that's meaningful to you. Customers, 
past customers, uh, prospects, white space, verticals, geos, and so forth. We map your ICP, your ideal customer profile. Who do you sell to? Next, we integrate this into your CRM. We mine this intelligence from the public domain using LinkedIn. We place that in your CRM as prescriptive tasks. So whatever CRM you use, Salesforce, HubSpot, and so forth, your sellers, that we are middleware. So our job is to be plumbing. And your sellers wake up on a Monday morning and they have a task. Susan has left your customer at Yeti, has moved on to become the chief marketing officer over at Igloo. Here are your recommended next four steps. Mm -hmm. The seller doesn't know we exist. All they care about is the fact that you gave them a very important piece to a puzzle on that account. Love it. Brilliant. Simply brilliant. And so, so practical. And now the salespeople have instant access to actionable stuff. Like you can, <laughs> that one, that one's a softball, right? That's not a, that's not a swing and miss. You're going to, you're going to get some really solid hits and home runs off that tip of the hat to our Blue Jays. And it's been placed in a, the really important learning as we, when we started this company was mm -hmm. a push notification, getting a seller to log into yet another platform or another thing never going to happen. A seller wakes up, they open their email inbox, they open up their CRM of record. Hopefully they open up LinkedIn, but they're maybe Slack. There aren't many other tools that are part of their daily routine. Mm -hmm. So we need to take sales intelligence and place it in their hands rather than them using what's called a pull notification of mm -hmm. diving in and trying to dig around like squirrels, mm -hmm. trying to find that intelligence and make sense of it. We're doing the homework for them. We're giving them the answers to the test and say, call these people because they are your past customers or they are brand new CMOs that just took a new job. Brilliant. Really brilliant. I think, I think that uh, what you're doing here is just so spot on right now and very, very timely given the current circumstances. Now, another thing, Jamie, you are a pioneer in social selling. Uh, you've been involved in social selling from the beginning on this. Um, it's been fun watching you over the years. I think the first time I saw you in action was maybe five, six years ago at a HubSpot inbound conference is probably when it was we're all losing track of time now but uh, i'm curious you've watched this evolution of social selling um all along what where are we today what's what's going on in the world of social selling from the mind and perspective of jamie shanks yeah so i'll give a bit of a timeline in 2011 2012 i pioneer and invent or it's debatable if i co-invented the term social selling I built the first global curriculum that scaled to 600 global customers around the world. And from the years about 2012 till 2016, I spent most of my time evangelizing, explaining why you should use social as a means for prospecting or protecting your core customer. Then in around 2016 and 17, till basically COVID, there was a huge movement where other training consulting firms uh, there became an ecosystem around social selling mm -hmm. other platforms and tools where i was not explaining the why anymore i was focused on the how and the who so now uh, almost defending why us versus other platforms or tools and so mm -hmm. forth so it was clear 
that there was product market fit. And you now, if you look at a bell curve, you had your leading indicator or you had your kind of early adopters, early innovators had already kind of swung through. And now you started to get into more general masses where it wasn't just tech and telecom companies. You had airlines and consulting firms and manufacturing firms reaching out to us for training all around the world. Mm-hmm. Then COVID hit. And COVID is one of the most important economic. And when we ever talk about the future of sales, for the last two years, you watched millions upon millions of expensive field sellers come inbound to now an inside sales motion. Didn't meet your customer, had to, and I have to kind of paraphrase, had to move to a social selling model because the only mediums of communication you had now were phone and email and then social platforms. And so it started to crest. And in fact, I had a diagram that I believed in the year 2023 through 2025, we would get to come laggard businesses would Hmm. start looking at social. All COVID did was hyper accelerate the speed at which people needed to do it. Hmm. So social selling, in fact, the need for training and enablement and requirement for it actually has slowed down dramatically and slowed down because it's not social selling anymore. It's called sales. Because right. It is the reality of the, of the pervasive way that complex B2B sales is done. And if you're not already doing that, that would be like you are in the year 2005 and you still don't have email as part right. of your, you know, your communication strategy. You're, you're, you're a very much a laggard. Right. Neanderthal. Neanderthal. And <laughs> right. Yeah. And what what's happened? And if you if I'm a prognosticator, mm-hmm. you have two years of CFOs looking at companies were either flat or hopefully grew during these COVID times. Yet CFOs are now looking at how they're going to deploy capital. I believe that pre-COVID, the general way that a CRO looked at growing their revenue was they deployed capital towards headcount. Mm-hmm. Just threw money at, oh, I need, I have an open territory in, in Texas, let's throw money at it. Yeah, yeah. But COVID happened. We brought everybody inside. People were wildly effective through Zoom and digital and social. And now you have a real hiring problem. Finally, finding talent is more cost prohibitive. I think that CFOs are going to really be ratcheting down, looking at the fact that they made a lot more gross margins. They made much better cost to customer acquisition in the last two years. And they don't need to throw headcount at the problem to scale. I believe there's going to be much more greater emphasis and investment on the yield per seller. Mm-hmm. So people process a technology that make the sellers wildly more productive. And I think that that word yield is the right word um, that needs to become more and more a part of our vocabulary as as sales and marketing professionals out there, because the yield on your investment and the biggest part of that investment is people, um, you know, you're going to get a better, you, you can't, you know, I, I think back um, just to uh, my days growing up in Southwestern Ontario in the middle of a bunch of farms. Right. And so you had the farms you had, you know, if you're going to plant corn or you're going to plant 
anything and you want to get a good yield from that crop, you need to invest in it, right? You got to water it. You got to fertilize it. You've got to do all that. And uh, I think I agree with you wholeheartedly that the days of, you know, oh, we got to grow sales. Let's hire 20 more reps. You, 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 can't afford, you can't afford to hire them because you need to. They don't exist. You need to pay for the attraction process, right. the recruitment process. Now your cost of acquisition, your, between what they're asking for OTEs and benefits has skyrocketed. Um, so your, your talent acquisition problem is there. And then let's be a farmer for a second. Can you mm -hmm. imagine telling a farmer who has a thousand acres, 50% of your crop is not going to make it. And 50% right. of your yeah. crop is like, they, right. <laughs> like what business am I in? Right. And yet CROs going to fix that. Right. CROs have accepted this as a reality that 50% yeah. of my reps will make plan and 50% won't. I, I think that CR, CFOs around the world are going to start stepping in and saying, this doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah, those numbers, those numbers don't add up. And I think it's, it's a long evolution from decades ago when, you know, you used to be able to hire a rep for draw, you know, a minimal draw and, you know, ah, put them in there, man. Years, 100% commission. Yeah, I've been there too. That's where I started. But you, it, that world in in the world of complex sales, it doesn't exist. You can't do that. And I, I'm curious as you think about this. I mean, we've talked about signal intelligence, talk about social selling, in terms of uh, increasing yield on your sales team. What else? Well, you know, what are some bullet points you put in there for for CROs and CFOs to be thinking about in terms of okay. We got this crop, we got 50% crop failure, you know, what? Uh, all of a sudden there's a big spotlight on that. What are some other ways we should be thinking in terms of increasing yield per rep? So I think that there'll be a bit of an evolution. Let's use a bit of a time machine here for a second. So when I started consulting, before I pioneered social selling, there was this emerging term called sales 2.0. And what this was, was bringing, it was the development of the SDR, BDR inside sales function. Mm -hmm. So it was the, that development in about the year 2009, 10, 11. Mm -hmm. And the, uh, the concept there was, why don't we take some of the functions that not every seller was the best at? You had a full stack account executive who was being asked to develop a list, prospect, book meetings, run discovery calls, deliver proposals, and win deals. Why don't we separate those functions? And that was that concept, right? So an SDR, BDR created the lead, sent it over for a AE, qualified it, and then won the deal. I think there's going to be much greater focus on expertiseism and people, process, and technology are going to be brought in to pull out, because this has happened in manufacturing. This has happened in almost every other function in a business where the core competency of the seller is, is maximizing the time in front of the customer. So uh, providing incredible demos, proposal mm -hmm. process, overcoming objections, pricing models. But if you think of all the functions that are required to get you that meeting or I, so if you think of these pieces, there's going to be list acquisition and data enrichment and artificial intelligence and signal intelligence. Mm -hmm. And then there's going to be 
optimization of buying intent when they're actually sharing ideas with customers, who's, who's watching your videos and so forth. And there's going to be all kinds of tools and vendors that are, are chipping away at taking the pieces from the seller that are not extreme value added pieces, $500 an hour value creators. And so that your sellers can focus in on the best demo, the best pricing per, and proposal, you know, uh, closing that customer and then take all the other pieces away and, and start fueling that for the seller. So that was a long-winded way as I believe that there's going to be hyper-specialization mm -hmm. to make sellers wildly more productive than before. You know, it's interesting. I, I couldn't agree more. And I actually, it was a couple months ago, I wrote an article just posing like one of the best things I think uh, sales leaders could do is invest in assistance, like virtual assistance for their salespeople and get them out of all the dumb, you know, rescheduling, scheduling, lists, proposal, like all of that stuff. You've seen the stats. Right. You know, people say 13%, 27% of the time that a seller right. is actually with a customer. Right. So all the other tasks are, can be offshore, can be use AI and ML, could mm -hmm. use other forms of technology and processes to take away that administrivia. That's the part that is that time management is what yeah. is killing the seller. I, I, it's so, so true. But Jamie, this has been a fantastic conversation. I knew it would, full of practical ideas. How can people get more Jamie Shanks in their life? Uh, so look up pipelinesignals.com as it sounds. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm the guy that looks like this. I think I'm the only <laughs> Jamie Shanks. Connect with me on LinkedIn. And happy to talk to you about signal intelligence, specifically relationship signals. Brilliant, brilliant. We'll put all that in the show notes. Jamie, thank you so much for sharing time with us. This has been incredibly insightful. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Fantastic. And thank you to everybody in the Revenue Growth Podcast audience. Uh, right now, I love the innovation. And today's conversation was about innovation. It's thinking about how can we solve these problems that keep getting worse and keep becoming more and more urgent. How can we put our best thinking together uh, to solve these problems? And this whole issue of sales productivity and effectiveness, um, getting our yield per rep up uh, is, is just incredibly important right now. And I love the conversation that's happening around that. So I'd love to connect with you as well on LinkedIn. Uh, if you don't have a copy of Revenue Growth Engine yet, just go to revenuegrowthengine.net. Uh, let me know. Shipping and handling, I'll send you an autographed copy. Get that your way. We want to do everything we can together to make sure we're driving growth in this really critical time. We've got some exciting guests coming up this spring. So make sure to subscribe, like, or whatever you need to do on the platform on which you're listening. And if you would leave a review, it helps us spread the word about the Revenue Growth Podcast, where we're dedicated to bringing you ideas to accelerate your growth. So we've got a whole bunch of great things going on right now. And I just want to say hats off to everyone out there who is driving towards making your company's revenue growth engine more effective and efficient. And until next time, let's get going and let's get growing. Would you like to get complimentary access to the Revenue Growth Engine audiobook? 
Just text the word revenue to 21,000 or go to revenuegrowthengine.com slash book. You'll get instant access to the audiobook so you can get ideas to help you grow your revenue so you can scale your impact. Text the word revenue to 21,000 or go to revenuegrowthengine.com slash book to get instant access. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you found ideas to help you drive exponential revenue growth so your business can make more of an impact. If you've enjoyed today's conversation, make sure to like or subscribe. It also helps us spread the word if you'd be kind enough to leave a review. Of course, we'd love it if you would share this with your friends. Together, we are growing revenue so we can scale our impact.